you know, I look back at, at my time at Student Works and even Patty Mac and then, you know, uh, into my more corporate type roles. But if you don't ask for the business, you're never going to get the business. Um, yes. And I remember also with Student Works and Patty Mac at times, you know, I'd be shaving off numbers against my own self because I yeah. would be thinking, oh, you know, there's no way they would pay for this. Yeah. But then if you go through it systematically and you say, you know what, you are providing value. And if you can legitimize on the price that you are going to be charging a client or someone that you're looking to partner with, then it becomes a much more compelling story. So um, that would be another tip for those that would be getting into the entrepreneurial world is if you've got a good value statement and a good value proposition, don't be afraid to ask for the business. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. Just had an amazing conversation with uh, an alumnus, uh, Michael Patterson. He is uh, an ID IBM executive uh, responsible or one of the team members responsible for um, the TD Bank and the, the enormous transformation. The TD Bank always needs to be going on and the work that IBM is, is doing in that area. Uh, we spent a bunch of time talking about the, the roles of um, Michael's been an entrepreneur. Michael's been a sales rep, a BDR rep, a client exec, uh, went back for his MBA and talked about different decisions that he made and why those were impactful. And, um, you know, really walked away with some really amazing lessons uh, that I know you're going to love. I know you're really going to enjoy. And, and again, thanks so much for tuning in the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Uh, if you know of any young leaders who are looking to set their careers apart, set their lives apart, like Mike has, please send them my way. Share this podcast. You can send any information or feedback to me at chris at leaderspodcast.ca or send them to our website at studentworks.com. Thanks so much. I hope you have a fantastic day. Welcome, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. All right. All right. So if you think back from before you joined Student Works, what were you like before our program? Yeah, I'd say, you know, the, a little bit about my background prior to joining Student Works. Definitely was always a bit of an entrepreneur, had that spirit and that I, I wanted to, you know, go out and be above and beyond and, and try and do something different. So I always did have a little bit of that sort of burning leadership in me, whether it was starting my own snow shoveling business when I was okay. five years old, going door to door <laughs> and handing out flyers uh, for, you know, it cost you $3 per square on the sidewalk for me to, you know, shovel it in the wintertime. So, you know, always had a little bit of that gung-ho attitude. Um, but yeah, definitely found that uh, Student Works was a was a great platform for me to, you know, take something that I had envisioned that was a little bit more, uh, I would say, you know, beginnings, you know, beginnings of a, of a business to try and uh, take that to the next level to uh, actually have some employees and uh, and run something that, uh, that I was proud of. Awesome. Awesome. So what do you still rely on from the program in, in your years with Student Works? Yeah, so as far as that's a great question, what I rely on, I find I use on a daily basis a lot of the things that I learned. 
One of the big ones now being in sales uh, is the fact that, you know, you have to pick up the phone. You have to have that drive to be able to go and ask for the business, um, whether that's in personal life, uh, you know, asking, you know, a friend uh, to you know do something or a lady on a date or whatever it might be. Um, you know, you have to have that attitude that if, you know, it's not going to be given to you. So I, I use that on a daily basis, um, something that, uh, you know, has brought me quite a bit of success in the business world. I also really rely upon some of the things that I learned from dealing with employees, especially, you know, younger employees. So when I look at some of the folks that I work with, that would be, you know, more junior in caliber. Um, you know, you put yourself back into their shoes at that time and figure out what was important to them and what drives them, because it's ultimately not necessarily the same things that would drive someone like myself today, where maybe money isn't as important as right. uh, you know, back then. Um, but uh, those are some of the things that I, I find on a daily basis uh, I tap into. Fantastic. And, and I know when you left us, uh, you, you went and uh, joined up in a partnership with an, uh, another amazing alumni and, and started a business. So, so why, don't you, why don't you tell us about that experience and, and what you learned through that, uh, et cetera? Yeah, for sure. Um, so it was actually a good friend of mine, Steve McDonald, uh, as you mentioned, a previous alumni. So he had uh, done student works for one year prior to when I joined. So he kind of recruited me into the business and you know, was really telling me what a wonderful experience it was for him, um, you know, all the pros and obviously the cons that come with any type of uh, entrepreneurship. But, you know, I decided to join up. And, and after that successful year that I had with Student Works, um, we were trying to figure out, you know, what on earth are we going to do uh, after university? We were roommates yeah. at, uh, at Western University. So we put together a bit of a business plan and we said, you know, I think there's a need up in Muskoka for property maintenance and management. So, you know, a lot of it was, you know, doing things that uh, people uh, didn't want to do, being senior executives oftentimes from Bay Street. They want to get up to their cottage and they want to put their feet on the dock and just enjoy their time there. So they don't want to be cutting grass. They don't want to be washing windows or doing any of that. So we found that need and put together a business plan and then taking a lot of things that we learned from Student Works, uh, old school, door to door, uh, pound of the pavement. I remember it was March and we're up there, you know, uh, over uh, Easter as well in April and walking around and snow up to, you know, our hip. And, you know, it was a pretty fantastic learning experience for both Steve and I. And, you know, we grew the business over a couple of, of years while I was there and then ultimately uh, decided for some personal reasons that I wanted to get back to the city. And in mm-hmm. fact, uh, you know, it, it ended up actually strengthening our relationship afterwards, as you can imagine, living in a small town up in Skoka. We lived together, worked together. Uh, so at times, it can, yeah, it can be difficult. So, um, you know, exited the business successfully. Um, and uh, from there, Steve's, you know, taken it and uh, really turned it into quite, a, quite the business uh, where he's now building, you know, custom homes for multi, multi millions of dollars. So uh, very proud of him. And uh, cool to be able to have a piece of uh, my name in that uh, as the name is Patty Mac and Patterson McDonald, the two last names. So uh, yeah. I'll, I'll always be able to take a drive up there. And uh, <laughs> so one day my kid, uh, you know, that was dad's dad's at one point as well. <laughs> yeah, no. And I was saying, I was saying earlier, I know uh, I, I'm up seeing one of my, my great friends, uh, Rick Eastwood, who was also on the podcast and, and I'll see Patty Mac signs and I'll, I'll go, Oh yeah, look at that. Isn't that yeah. great? And it's really awesome to see, see, how well uh, Steve's done and, you know, taking advantage of the, the experience that he gained. But so you, you came back to the city and started getting into, you know, sales role. So why don't you, why don't you walk us through, you know, I guess your first experience was at BD. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I came back looking for uh, a role and 
the one really nice thing, and you know, for any of those listening today, happy to get into further detail. But if you take one thing from this, you know, discussion that we're having, Chris, is that you know, I felt the ability from Student Works, the ability from Patty Mac, it really allowed you to figure out what are you best at. You know, what are your skills? You know, are you a really good people manager? Are you a really good finance guy? Are you a really good salesperson or marketing? And then that allows you to kind of formulate on what your skills are and where you could apply those into the real world in the workforce. So that was the thing that really showed me that, you know, sales is, you know, second nature to me. I'm a bit extroverted, um, but, you know, definitely it gave me a, a stronger understanding of the other facets of the business that are really important. So I gravitated naturally to sales Stopped off at BD for uh, a cup of coffee. My sister was working there, so ended up uh, getting okay. the junior sales role. Uh, ultimately, they outsourced it, you know, uh, the role. Uh, so I did get hired, but it would have been by a third-party sales agency for less money. And so uh, moved on over to uh, American Express. They had just sort of started a uh, small business services um, sales team there. Um, right. Actually, in fact, turned it from a bit more of an internal you know, role where you would be calling over the phone and doing a lot more business development to actually going to, uh, you know, meet with, it was actually dentists that we focused on because they have so much spend on a monthly basis to be able to use uh, a corporate card allowed for us to, to make quite a bit of money there. And then from, from that. Why don't we, why don't we hold on there? And one, yep. like one thing I want you to, uh, because one of the big areas of, uh, for our alumni and for our, our young leaders listening is they, they do find success in sales. And so sometimes again, okay, I'll use sales to get into entrepreneurship or use sales to get into senior management, or we can use sales to just to crush it in sales. So we should understand the process. So, so business development, why don't you describe the BDR role? Because, because you can't just go and right now, right now, um, what Mike's doing is he's the IBM key client executive for the TD bank. So that's a big ass role. (laughs) That's a, that's a. You know, you don't get that role. It takes a long time to go and be the face of IBM for for the TD Bank, obviously. So, so what are the you know? So as we walk through this, I'm going to want you to walk walk the 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 our leaders listening about what that would look like. So you know, at BD and and uh, American Express, like what the BDR role is and how it shifts as yeah. you go on. Yeah. So it was definitely. You know, I will say bluntly, you know, quite a bit of smiling and dialing at uh, at first. Uh, yeah. With BD, it was pounding the pavement. So it was going to 10 pharmacies a day, uh, telling them why, you know, they should be selling our diabetic needles over, uh, you know, our competitors. Um, and, you know, at the very beginning, it's hard. You know, people don't know who you are. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, you know, they don't really care as long as their clients are happy that they're getting a needle and they're not complaining which needle yes. they get. So how can you try and persuade people to ultimately make a buying decision uh, based upon your influence? And I think that right. that's something that, that ultimately Student Works gave me as a foundation. You know, I would say that sales does seem to be a natural thing coming out of entrepreneurship because I think that you realize that for any business to be successful, if you don't have a sale, you don't have a business. So it's the, it's the lifeline, it's the blood of a company. And so that's why I think you're seeing more and more sales executives end up becoming senior leadership within a company because you need to understand the sales function or else I don't think you'll ultimately be able to be successful as a business. 100%. There's just no, there's no question. And and ultimately as well, there's something to, as you talked about earlier, that, that 
pressing for more business that, you know, right now you're at the year end of your IBM, uh, you know, cycle. So, so it's like, Oh, how much do I press to make sure that, you know, we're hitting our numbers. And on the other hand, keeping, keeping TD happy. So it's always, it's always finding that balance. And to a certain extent, if you're not in the space of pushing for sales and understanding that client relationship, it's hard to make those judgment calls. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. And I remember, you know, I look back at, at my time at Student Works and even Patty Mac and then, you know, uh, into my more corporate type roles. But if you don't ask for the business, you're never going to get the business. Um, yes. And I remember also with Student Works and Patty Mac at times, you know, I'd be shaving off numbers against my own self because I yep. would be thinking, oh, you know, there's no way they would pay for this. Yep. But then if you go through it systematically and you say, you know what, you are providing value. And if you can legitimize on um, the price that you are going to be charging a client or someone that you're looking to partner with, then it becomes a much more compelling story. So um, that would be another tip for those that would be getting into the entrepreneurial world is if you've got a good value statement and a good value proposition, don't be afraid to ask for the business and, and don't you know sell against yourself because that was something that uh, was a lesson learned for me very early on when I was dealing with these senior executives oftentimes um, you know, wanting to, to uh, paint their homes or, or do work on their properties in Muskoka. And you're thinking this guy's been doing sales for 30 years. And so he's going to just, you know, grind me. So I might as well drop my price down 10%. So yes. that was something I learned pretty quick. Yeah. That's why we start 10% higher, Mike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so we've given you a discount. That's what we've done already, Mr. Patterson. So yes. <laughs> And, but by the way, I totally feel the same way. And, and really there's a lot of, so, you know, there's personal work to get. I'm a value. We're a value. And, and really getting clear on that is a huge part of being successful in business. And in some ways you can think, oh, well, of course Mike thinks that because he's with IBM you know, one of the, you know, best brands in the world. No, you have to think that in every role that you're in to really, truly excel. Yep. And I think it means something, there's a, you know, difference. And I, I hate using the word vendor when I work at, you know, any role that I've been in the corporate world. I'm not a vendor, I'm a partner. And so yes. I think that's something, you know, you're not a painter, you're yes. a, you know, someone that's, you know, working and partnering on making your home more beautiful. So I think that yes. it's the way you frame it in your mind is also a good way on how you're going to portray yourself out to a client as well. Absolutely. Yes. 100%. I'm looking to create value for your home. I'm looking to create value for my customer. So you move from, from uh, American Express into Salesforce, which is, again, a, another leading huge brand. So, so what was that experience like? What were, what were your role like in that area? Yeah. So Salesforce was um, back a little bit when they were you know, not as big as they are now, um, right. but it was a, I look back at my time at Salesforce, uh, you know, as well as obviously Patty Mac and, and student works is probably where I learned the most from a sales perspective, uh, really learned how to approach clients there. Right. Um, I would say, uh, creatively through email, because, uh, at the time there was only really two offices for Salesforce, uh, one in Toronto, which most people didn't know was nearly as big as it was. And then you've got one in San Francisco and they pretty much split okay. the Mississippi right down the middle. So I was calling into, you know, the U S and so I didn't okay. have an ability to actually get face to face, which is for me an area I excelled in. You know, I uh, like to think I'm a pretty easily approachable, easy guy to talk to, easy person to get along with. So if I can interact with you in person, it's a lot easier than me picking up the phone or sending an email. So 
that was a, a bit of an eye opener for me. But um, yeah, definitely a great company as far as a, a sales training um, company. Uh, still play on their softball team with a lot of my friends. Awesome. So uh, awesome. yeah, very much uh, still in tune with that company and, and the success that they've had. But um, I think it taught me a bit more of a, a work ethic as far as really how to reverse engineer my own success. Um, you know, how many calls does it take for me to be able to close a client? How many, uh, you know, people in stage three opportunities do I then turn into stage four and trying to figure out that so that if I make 50 calls today, that's going to lead three opportunities, three opportunities going to lead to a closed deal in a month and then try and make sure how I can hit my numbers. So it really gave me a much more tactical focus at Salesforce. Um, we'll say it's a bit, bit of a meat grinder there. Um, and a lot of people uh, would tell you that uh, in the BD role that I was in. But it was something that I cherished in a time that uh, was a lot of fun then because the company was just kind of starting to really see success. So it was one of those super work hard, play hard cultures where we'd yeah. have lots of fun on Thursdays and uh, had to move our. And, yeah, and we've had a lot of uh, uh, our alumni, you know, go to Salesforce. And, and I loved what you had to say about, you know, really just breaking things down, you know, where, where it's a numbers game. And, you know, the numbers at student works are a lot less complicated uh, than at Salesforce um, or a bigger organization where you need more checkpoints of these big organizations to go by. And, and, but when we really truly understand it's about how many dials do I have and how many meetings do I have? And then how many next stage meetings and next stage meetings, and then how much better I get at each of them. So that when you start every year, you, you literally can start to feel confident. Well, this six-figure six plus comp plan that I'm looking to earn, oh, I can feel comfortable as long as I do these steps. That's what I'm going to be taking home uh, at, you know, at the end of the year. For sure. And I think that that's, you know, Salesforce obviously selling their CRM system. That's what their bread and butter is. So they make you drink the Kool-Aid more than anybody else. So it really allowed me to lay out, and, you know, right in front of me there with a dashboard and metrics on, you know, I'm behind. And so how do I get, you know, how do I catch back up or mm-hmm. I'm doing really, really well? What are the things that I've done well? Have I been, you know, using the same type of wording or reach outs that have been successful? And it allows you to kind of pivot and move. So I think to mm-hmm. your point, if you look at the end state and then try and break it down into smaller, more palatable chunks, I think you're going to see much more success than just saying, okay, I got to go sell, you know, $300,000 worth of product XYZ. Okay. I'm just going to start calling. That's not going to be successful as opposed yeah. to, hey, I've got, you know, six months to do this. What do I need to do to fill my pipeline in the first two months in order to see some of the business coming in months three, four, five down the road? Absolutely. And the other thing is for our young leaders now starting businesses within student works management program or their own understanding as well. What are the metrics? What do I need to do? And so it may seem like it's a cold day or or it's rainy or whatever. And, and understanding that no, every activity I have now impacts down later, the, the result that I have later. And and that again, the the successful people that you emulate are people who who no matter what, my feelings don't matter. I'm making a commitment. I'm doing that, right? Like yeah. that's 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 a huge part. I'm sure that you see in your successful other sales reps in your organizations. Yeah, absolutely. I look at those that are successful, and I always say about a sales rep: if you stop sort of learning or think that what you've done, you've got the silver bullet now, you're going to be passed by pretty quickly. I think some of the best sales executives and the ones that I work with, you know, they're learning from me. They're taking small bits from each you know yeah. person that they work with. They're learning from their clients and how they react to certain things. And if you can take some of the best practices from those that are really successful, 
you're not reinventing the wheel. So it's yeah. not like you're trying to build something that's never been done before. Learn from the best. Take, you know, ask friends, hey, what, what's made you successful? Or, you know, how are you? Go to the number one sales guy at Student Works or go to the yeah. number one person within your organization and say, hey, how are you seeing success? And, you know, most of the time they'd be more than happy to share with you and, and try and drive your success as well. Yeah. No, and it's interesting as well as what we're doing will never always work either. So, so when you can look at that two ways, you can look at it like, oh my gosh, or you can look at it. No, that's great. It's, that's always how it's looking. You know, it like, it's always going to be slightly shifting. And like you said, oh, that people seem to be liking this type of an approach now, or people like that type of an approach. And, and there's no question that especially it's, I shouldn't say in our business, a lot of what we do, you know, people still want their houses painted that houses haven't changed that much, but in all the technology that you're, you're in, there's massive changes, obviously that you've seen in the 15, 16 years that you've been out. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, uh, you know, you just take something like COVID, for example, that's tossed our whole world on its head. And, yeah. um, you know, it's probably changing your approach a little bit on how you go to market as well. Yeah. Um, you know, do you really, you know, is it going to be as easy to go to, you know, you know, conferences and things like that? And for yeah. me, I see the exact same things. It's really difficult. Uh, you know, traditionally, I, you know, be taking people out for a lunch. Um, yes. That's yeah. a pretty easy way to get their attention. Everyone's got to eat. Um, yeah. and, you know, if you want to go get a nice fancy lunch on a Friday afternoon, you know, that's an easy way to, you know, sort of be able to build that, that rapport. And so I think that um, something like this is going to see some really, really downstream effects on how people work, how they interact. And uh, so I think that to your point, everything's always changing and revolutionizing and you have to keep up with that and change yourself. Well, that's great. So you, so you left Salesforce, you became a senior account manager at Scribble Live. So tell us about Scribble Live and the role there. Yeah, for sure. So I had been at Salesforce for a few years and then actually wanted to get back into the entrepreneurial role, mm-hmm. role pardon me, a little bit more. Um, and so took on uh, a bit of equity within the company. Um, okay. And so it was uh, a pretty interesting um, you know, time. Also at Salesforce, uh, things have become a little bit more rigid, I would say, because they had okay. seen what success looked like. And so they just wanted people to emulate exactly what you know the successful folks were doing as opposed to trying to be a little bit more creative and approaching things and problems. So ended up going there um, and it was a great learning experience. I was one of three reps on the floor. So if I had a, an idea on how to pivot or change or shift things, I uh, yeah. also had a lot of input into working with product development and product design as well. Because if it wasn't selling or we were getting feedback from clients, then we'd have to shift and, and uh, pivot our approach um, from a product perspective. So um, I would say it was pretty similar to most of my BD roles. You know, I would say a little less like Salesforce, where it was a little more downstream. It was a lot of you know smiling and dialing and just you know trying to pound a product that was just coming to market that people didn't know. Right. Uh, we talk about Salesforce, American Express, Beckton Dickinson. Those are titans in their industry. And so you have automatically built a little bit of that qualification, having that name behind you, as opposed to if you're coming with a product or, or a company that people have never heard about, you better damn be sure that your value statement and your, your approach to a potential client is locked right up or else they'll see right through it and not give you the time of day. So right. very interesting time. Um, and uh, ultimately, uh, you know, what led me to realizing that I wanted to move out of that sort of 
pure business development role into more of a downstream, larger deal type uh, roles and, and why I ended up going back to school. Okay. So you just, you, you decided to sort of pivot. So what, what was the, cause I know a lot of times people think you're going back to an MBA. So, so you went, went back to Western on top of it, just a shout out for you graduated on the Dean's list. So obviously, you know, took it really seriously. What did you get out of that? Why did you seek an MBA? Why did you think it it's, and, and what, what sort of differences it made for you? Yeah. Um, great question. So for me, the, the MBA was probably a stepping stone in my life personally, um, mm-hmm. as much as it was going back to educate myself and, and become that much smarter. Um, doing right. Applications. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, I didn't come out of there thinking that, you know, I was 10x smarter than I went in there. Right. Uh, a lot of the skills, the MBA, especially a generalist program like Western will be teaching you. Uh, is often the skills that are the basis of things like student works, Patty Mac. You know, you're learning how to you know learn every part of a business and and how to run an operation successfully. Look at it from a leadership lens. Right. The reason that I ultimately went back was uh, I, uh, fun fact, was actually uh, what they call AEO. So I was pre-accepted to Ivy in undergrad, um, and at the time I, I didn't take it seriously enough. Um, yeah. I didn't keep my average up and didn't uh, end up uh, getting accepted to do the program and years three and four. Um, and so that was always something I remember I, for a while, I, I kept a letter um, from the, the uh, dean there at uh, Richard Ivey uh, when I didn't get accepted. And I taped that on my, my mirror, um, right. to give me motivation. And so it was something that I always thought that I wanted to go back and, you know, prove not just to myself, but prove to you know, the larger community there that, uh, in fact, yes, I may have made some mistakes um, while I was a little younger, um, as yeah. we all do, um, yeah. but I wanted to take those mistakes and turn it into something positive. So I remember during my entrance interview, you know, I was dead straight with the person across the room and said, you know, I'm going to be the hardest working person here because I'm here to prove a point. I'm here to prove that you guys actually should have brought me in at the very beginning. Right. Uh, and she loved that answer. And uh, <laughs> ultimately, I made it my goal that I was going to get on Dean's list. So, right. Yeah, it was something for those that are wondering whether to do it. I always, you know, the world is shifting. And when you look at sales roles and things like that, does an MBA really matter? The answer is probably not, mm-hmm. um, you know, but if you're someone like an engineer or if you're looking to try and build maybe some of the soft skills that is something like a student works, you know, leads you to learn, right. um, I think it's a fantastic thing. For me, it was a little bit more personal. And uh, at the end of the day, though, it does hold some weight. I think the uh, I only applied to Ivy because of the um, alumni network that they have. It's so tight and so strong. Yeah. Uh, I got hired by uh, one of my best buddies from undergrad uh, when I was looking at a uh, potential uh, opportunities and he uh, and I chatted and he said, you know what, come work for me, pal. So I think the MBA did have a part because he certainly didn't offer me that role uh, a couple of years prior. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, to, to me, I'm not, I'm not surprised. It, it, it just frames you differently. Right. Like that's, you know, like it just frames you differently. And, and, and even more so when you do as well as you did, it says, Hey, Mike's really serious, right? Like Mike's, you know, like taking it up, you know, Mike squared, uh, Mike cubed, you know, he's, he's, you know, like he's, he's not just relying on, you know, just, you know, hard work and good people skills. No, no, no. He's gonna, he's, he's really, you know, really locked in. Right. And, 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 you know, sort of seeing that shift in you and I, and I, I certainly see it. And, you know, and one of the things as well that I wanted to describe and have you describe, because I certainly know what 
IBM is, but it feels to me like IBM's lost some of its luster and it hasn't, but I mean, for the greater community, because IBM is, is again, one of the, the real enormous brands. IBM was, was what Apple is today or Google is today, 20, 30 years ago. But, but so maybe you could just describe who IBM is now, what markets they service, et cetera. So, so our young leaders can understand really who IBM is. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, happy to do that. Yeah, I, I definitely, when I first thought of IBM, I thought of, you know, computers and uh, punch cards and all of that yeah. old, old technology that they've got. And I knew that their big old mainframe computers were the ones that were powering all the big businesses in the world. You know, checkouts as well at retail, all those computer screens, you often see the old uh, sort of POS, POS systems were all IBM. So that's what I thought of them when I first sort of joined. And uh, the reason I joined, one of my uh, you know, best friends from my undergrad is leading now the consulting practice at, at IBM. And, and he reached out to me and uh, we had a conversation and thought it'd be a great fit. And so after learning more and more, IBM is like, you know, a lot of people and I kind of I would say that it's a reflection of myself they, they reinvent themselves um, yes. they have to continually do that uh, I still you know walk into meetings and uh, people I pull out my Apple laptop and people are like oh man I'm surprised IBM doesn't you know force you to use an IBM computer and I'm like oh my god we sold that business like 10 years ago so <laughs> exactly uh, yeah. definitely the perception is out there yeah compared to the you know the Googles and the the yeah. Apples and Amazons of the world. Um, but for us, we're trying to reinvent ourselves by making a few really, really large bets. Um, mm -hmm. One is AI. That is probably the number one driving for us, uh, as well as cloud. Um, okay. So we're you know top four within the world as far as cloud. Um, and so when you're seeing these big banks and big companies move off of these mainframe computers, they have to have some computing power somewhere. So um, you know, for us, where it can say we'll be your your sort of ones that decommission the old IBM stuff and put you onto the new IBM cloud. So um, those are a couple of the really really big bets that we've made. Um, and so for us, we're we're constantly reinventing ourselves. And I think that we've done a, a pretty good job in that. But I do believe that uh, we need to educate the market a little bit more on our capabilities for sure. Right. And, and but part of it is as well as is, is that the reality is in, in many ways, it does not really matter so much. An entrepreneur like me who is not an IBM potential client really thinks what it matters is what senior executives of large banks or large companies think, because they're really the, the, the customers. So it's it's all B two B for for IBM is yep. is is really is really where it does is and and I understand as well I know I know I I read about the the shift in strategy right from and and they needed to shift because if right. they didn't shift the business would be over right like because those you know there are no you know like or I shouldn't say eventually it would be but that's obviously that's what smart people do what's what's the new future where are bets going to be what yep. what's what's our and it really does make a lot of sense to sort of take you know, IBM used to be the mainframe of most large businesses, you know, the, the big computers. So, so here, let's take them off that because we have them there <laughs> and put them on the cloud. Perfect. Like yeah. what a great strategy. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Our new CEO, we've actually just spun off uh, sort of our, our uh, managed outsourcing business right now, uh, which we call global technology services. So that was a large announcement. So yeah, we're putting all of our all of our eggs into those baskets, and can, you know, constantly I'm, I'm having to battle even with senior executives. To your point, they're a little bit more, you know, a little bit more aware of our capabilities, but uh, they still have a bit of a legacy mindset as well. And yes. at the time, when you look at you know hardware and you know 
that would have been the heydays of uh, going out and what same thing was I when I was at Salesforce selling CRM. When you're the biggest and you're kind of the only shop in town, uh, or there might only be one other, it's a pretty easy sales cycle. When you start seeing competitors like Amazon, you start seeing other yes. you know, new entrants and disruptors that are joining. You have to pivot just just as much as they do, or else your your sort of old school way of thinking will uh, you'll be a dying horse. That's for sure. So in your role, like, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, you're, you, you know, you just got a big promotion managing client exec at the TD bank. What does that really in, entail, you know, for our, you know, young leaders listening and, and what are the key, uh, you know, things that you need to be doing to really excel in that role? For sure. So I was brought in, uh, at the very beginning at IBM, I was sort of running their data and AI division within financial services, um, trying to drive new business and kind of change that perception, mostly tier two bank accounts. So anything outside of the big five here within Canada. Okay. So had a lot of success there, um, a lot of great opportunities, a lot of big wins. Uh, and then, yes, was fortunate enough that uh, sort of got picked uh, to now join the TD team. And they put me into a very interesting area of the bank as TD is looking to revolutionize themselves and kind of re-engineer the way that they go to market and the way that they organize even internally as teams. So they thought I would be a great fit. It's an area that we haven't really engaged with a lot. So okay. uh, going back to some of those, uh, you know, core skills that I learned at student works, you know, there was some times I had to pick up the phone and reach out to, you know, an SVP of a bank. And, you, yes. know, you know, one of the things that I think that I was chosen for the role is because I have that ability to do that. I don't get scared of that. Yes. Uh, you know, I have a reason to be speaking with you. I do, uh, you know, yes, you're older and, and probably more wise than I am. And, you know, but I do have a value I can bring to you. If you can yeah. just engage me a little bit to have those conversations, I'll find out those one, two, three areas that IBM can knock something out of the park. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of new net business within T that I'm covering, but um, it's been a lot of relationships that were untapped for a long time. Uh, also engaging a lot more with the line of business as opposed to going back to the IBM being more of a sort of mainframe. We dealt mostly with the IT organization at, at uh, these large banks. So for us, it's now engaging with different you know, uh, members in different areas within that bank. And so, you know, on a daily basis, I'm doing anything from putting together statements of work uh, with my team, uh, organizing, you know, I will say at a large company like IBM, any of the companies I've worked for, 25, 30, 40% of your job will be internal sales. So you're yes. we're trying to get people to buy in on why the resources should be going to your deal and why yes. your deal is, is a strategic point that if you know we don't get the best of the best forward that we won't win. So yeah, that's typically what I do on a daily basis. And the cycles uh, are quite long, but uh, yeah, it's very, it's very good to to be able to see some of my uh, fruits of my labor start to start to come in here at a end a quarter end a year. Yeah, well, no, that's wonderful. And and the other thing as well is is that just, you know, how thorough an organization like IBM is and the TD Bank, right? Like it really is like, you know, a bunch of really smart people making wise decisions, you know, and again, they may not always be right, of course, but, you know, how do we best invest our money or why should we choose this partner? Because again, they're, they're choosing between amazing companies. So like you said, you know, Amazon web services or IBM or, or, or Microsoft, like, you know, just incredible world-class performers and why, how describe it, create a great strategy. And it's very, very thoughtful, you know, from both sides. Right. So it's, so it, and, and it's, so it's not, you know, it's not relationship sales and, and on the other hand, of course, relationships matter. 
but it's that's not what drives these decisions, is it? Nope, for sure. It's definitely having, I would say, the vision that aligns with theirs is the most important. Um, mm-hmm. They'll often give you some intel into what their vision is and what they're thinking. But the stuff that I'm working on partnering with a bank for isn't a three-week, four-week, 12-week engagement. Yeah. We're talking about three, four, five, ten-year engagements where we're totally doing a transformation within a certain area of a bank or how they go to market or how they service their customers. And so, um, you know, those aren't obviously relationships are important. You need them at the end of the day, um, but there is some really great competitors. And ultimately it's, you know, bringing the best of a team together and almost a team sale uh, as opposed to more of an individual sort of, Hey, I know the CEO, so he's going to buy some stuff for me. Yes, that always happens. But um, you know, if you're looking at a pure transformation, they have to believe in all the multitude of different areas within IBM that, you know, we have as well from a technology standpoint, but then we also have the strategy and the consulting side that, uh, you know, we can bring an entire, sort of 360 package to market yeah no it's really it's really fascinating um you know it's too bad with covid i can't we can't go have a beer or a coffee (laughs) or lunch mike and understand more but we'll we'll you know and i wanted to talk a little bit about that just so our again our leaders got okay you know it's it's different than what we do again on the student you know in, in our student side is is the deals are 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 much less complex which is perfect it's a great place to start and then we're elevating to again lots more strategy, lots more cons- consultation, lots more visioning uh, to really again make make the, uh, the 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 big breakthroughs that people are looking to make. For sure, and I think to your point there, when you talked about you know it's uh, you know doing a good job at one place, you sell a good delivery job at, at TD, and you can bet your bottom dollar that you know you do a good job there then you do now have permission to go talk to the next person in the bank similarly yes. the core of student works where you know probably half my business in the first year came from the jobs that i did at the very beginning in the first yeah. of the spring when we first started getting paintbrushes off and yeah. um, you know if i had done a poor job there then their neighbor wouldn't have said hey you know you should use these people. So exactly. um, I, I would say that that still core tenant of sales and of business is still very much alive and that, you know, you need to do a good job. If you earn the right to then have a conversation with their neighbor or earn the yeah. right to have a conversation with a different part of the business, um, you know, those still same things are those core principles are the same, whether it's a $3,000 deal or whether paint job or whether it's a 3 million or a $30 million. <laughs> good, 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 yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, one of the things we always love to talk about here is is just mistakes, failures, you know, setbacks. You know, what what, what about those? Anything stand out for our leaders, and and you know how you how you handled those or how you transformed those in your career so far? Yeah, for sure. So I think I touched upon one of them at the very beginning. You know, big mistake for me was probably not focusing in my undergrad enough on the academics. Um, you know, I I went back and fixed that as as mm-hmm. mentioned. I think another one. Um, that I would give a recommendation for to anyone is if you're ever in a role that you don't like anymore, or you're not adding value, or if it's adding so much stress in your life, not even from a, you know, I need to make a sale perspective, but even heck, I don't want to go into the office today, or I'm having a tough time getting up in the morning, um, and you're just no longer motivated, you need to make a change. That That is something that for me, you know, I don't need to get into details on, you know, where it was in the, in my journey, it definitely was the student works, but yeah, um, you know, I, there was a couple times where I just, you know, 
been in a role that I no longer was that interested in doing anymore. And you need to go out and it's best for your own personal health to make that yes. decision. Um, and whether it's getting into something totally different or whether it's trying something totally new. And for me, that pushing point was going back to school to get that MBA. Yeah. Prop my prop myself up and say, you know, you're, you can still add a lot of value. And I thought I was going to get into banking, to be honest, is what I thought. And uh, right. ended up uh, going back and say, you know what? I do love sales. Maybe that role just wasn't the right thing for me. 100%. So. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's so important. I'm so glad you brought that up. And that's, that's headed a bunch of times because you know, first of all, roles are largely impacted by your manager. Okay. And so managers can change companies. Man, all of a sudden a manager can come in and it just like, it's like a black cloud, stormy blackout every day. And then, or, or market key conditions can change. And then all of a sudden selling that product becomes monstrously more difficult. And so you need to be able to tell the truth. No, this program's not working anymore. I got to move. And, and I've had so many coaching conversations with past alumni, et cetera, who, who've got sounding to me like, no, let's move. Let, and, and before you're reaching that, you're, you know, really feeling desperate or it's impacting your self-esteem and self-regard. Right. And it's, and it's, and it's, you know, just like, let's, let's, let's move. And, and part of that as well, I, I always love to say is save some money as you yeah. go along. Put some money aside, put some money aside, put some money aside, because if you save some money, then you have the ability to say, hey, I know it's only going to take a few months to find a job. I'm sure I can do that. I've got the confidence to go do it. Or even just say, like, because and, and literally, if I if I have to, if I can't be looking while I'm working, but sometimes it is that, that way. It yeah. is just that bad. Um, no, sure. and, and, and just saying, okay, I'm going to move in a different direction. So, no, I think that's so wonderful to, to, to bring that up. So what key habits, if someone want to do what you did and had the type of success that you've had so far, what key habits would they want to steal from you, Mike? Yeah, so I think um, one of them and the one that, uh, and going back to the MBA a little bit on what value I could add, Ivy's a very team-based learning culture. And so the one thing that was fantastic is, you know, maybe in your undergrad, you stick to the same core, 30, 40, 50 friends that you have, and they might look similar to you or act similar to you or whatever. And for, for me, the Ivy experience put me into a much more real life culture where it's a bit of a melting pot from all sorts of different backgrounds. And so people constantly looked at me and my ability to be open and honest. I think that that was a pretty big one. Um, yeah. I think that, my ability to sometimes make the tough decision um, that may not be the you know one that's got the most votes, but something yeah. I truly believe in. I think that that's sticking to your core core beliefs and core values. I think is important, um, and I think that another big one would just be the fact that you know I now have shifted from wanting to be you know, making the most money in the world. And that's what I saw as, you know, what success looked like. I've made a big shift now to, you know, work is a very important part of your life, but I work to then make the lifestyle that I want. And it's not right. necessary, you know, that I have to have the biggest house or the biggest cars. For me, it means being able to go out and on three o'clock on a Friday, head to my cottage a little early to get a game of golf in. So right. um, I think that the fact that if you want to pivot personally or want to pivot professionally, if you believe in yourself and then you stick true to who you are, I think that that's a really big sort of thing in, in my life and something that people would say, uh, you know, allows me to be the character that I am today. Yeah. So it's, so, so what I hear is it's, it's work hard, play hard, have fun. 
yeah. you know, let's, let's go enjoy ourselves. Let's, you know, and, and, and I, and I know, you, you know, you got a, a young family, so it's like, Hey, making that a priority, um, is, is really obviously really important, um, yep. and making those relationships matter. And one of the things as well that I get is making those tough decisions. It's like being willing to be likable. And for you, you're a real likable guy, but being willing to be unlikable, right? Yeah. Like being, you know, hey, I'm, I'm willing to be unlikable. I'm willing to make the tough decision. I'm willing to to move forward. So, so I think that's uh, that's that's really great. And it's and it's something that you know. Again, it's it's tough for you know. Sometimes, again, sometimes our salespeople they want to be liked, and that's great, and and that's an advantage. And sometimes we've got to be willing to be unlikable. For sure. And I think you look at you know probably trouble projects you might be on at student works or you have an unhappy client that's being unreasonable yeah. um, and you, you know, always can't be likable to them. I and mean, you have to make tough decisions at times and say, Hey, you know, we delivered what we said we were going to deliver and yeah. or you can't treat my guys like this or yes. whatever it might be, or your employee might be acting, you know, showing up an hour and a half later, whatever. And yeah, you know, your buddies uh, probably after working together for a few months, you might go out for a beer after work on a Friday, right. but you also have to be the boss as well and have to make decisions that might not be the, you know, most popular in the room, but it's yeah. really what you believe in and you know is the right decision to make. Absolutely. So final question, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? It's a great question. I would say, I see someone that it has the ability to be flexible. I think we live in a time now with everything from technology that I'm involved in with AI, uh, data analytics, uh, to the acceleration of web, 5G, obviously the impact of COVID. I think you're gonna have to see a leader that is able to pivot and change course because I don't think you're going to see a business successful doing the same thing it's always done for the past hundred years. I think that you're going to have to see the ability of of a leader to understand certain areas and focus on those and kind of block and push out things that might not um, be the core of a business or the core offering. Uh, I think you're seeing that with my own company at IBM. Um, You know, you really just need to be nimble. And I think that leaders you know, obviously the typical words, smart, likable, things like that, uh, driven uh, are all important. But I think that flexed in the world that we live in is ultimately something that's going to be hugely important moving forward. Yeah, I love that, that flexibility. I know I read uh, a little while ago, uh, Jeff Bezos was saying, you know, he expects Amazon to be out of business. I can't remember, was it 25 years or something like that? And and who knows, you know, whether he said that then to put everybody, you know, okay, hold on, we got to be, you know, making sure that doesn't happen. I, you know, there's, there's obviously part of, part of it there, but, but also just, you know, there was a, there was a time where IBM was so massively successful, you know, and everyone thought, oh my gosh, and, and then had some problems and now is transitioning. So, so, you know, again, complacency is just such the enemy of, 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 of being a great company. So always thinking, what do I need? What's new? What's changing? And the world's, the pace of change in the world just seems to be, you know, increasing and increasing. Yep. Absolutely. I think those are uh, all really important points. And um, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, my biggest advice, if I ever talk to people is do what makes you happy. Do you yeah. don't live this? We only live this life once, yes. um, you know, try something new. Um, yeah. Go try and, you know, put your hand at running your own business. And I think that uh, ultimately, if you uh, focus on what's happy uh, to you and it's different for each person, then you're going to have a pretty good time while you're here. 
Absolutely. No, I, I, I uh, can't, can't agree more. Uh, enjoy yourself. Enjoy, enjoy friends and uh, enjoy your work. So, uh, well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. I really appreciate, especially in the, the last quarter of your season, while you're crushing all sorts of deals and things like that, making time. Uh, Mike, Mike jumped on. He's like, oh, God, I'm sweating, meeting after meeting after meeting, but making time for us. So thanks so much. Absolutely no problem at all, Chris. And, uh, don't okay. You have an awesome day. Talk to you soon. Hey, leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply, and I can't wait to see you on the other side.